0: Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is fucking killing me. I'm Corinne and I'm Rainy.
1: Welcome to week seven. Who
0: knows, man? <laughs> Who fucking knows?
1: <laughs> That's the truth. Oh God,
0: it's a it's a rough it's a rough go. But you know, we found a new setup. Yeah. We have some ways to give you guys content, which we're excited about.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's going to be great. Yeah. We've kind of done this like new format thing where we're connecting with old podcast guests to see what they've been up to since last time we talked to them, which in season one is almost two years ago and how they're doing since COVID-19 and how it's affected their careers or their small businesses. Mm. Yeah. Yeah
0: yeah and um so the first person we have is sammy the first person we have is sammy smith she's the founder of soft focus um it is a clothing company that is like focused around loungewear and like very beautiful wearable uh comfortable attire yeah which is kind of perfect if for right now yes so so perfect actually it's very relevant so yes so we sat down and talked with her and uh let us know what you think there's kind of two parts of this episode the new part and then we add on the last the episode that we recorded with her originally so we hope
1: you enjoy yeah um and we'd like to give one big thank you to we have a new patron this month Gigi and ara she has become our newest patreon member and for that we're so thankful because everybody that joins that platform, all of that money goes right back into the podcast and right back into our rentals or our hosting site. And it really makes it possible for us to keep this mm-hmm. going. Right. Thank yeah. you, Gigi. Thank you, Gigi. And thank you, Sammy, for jumping on a call with us. Sammy, how are you doing with uh, being a
0: small business right now in the COVID-19 era? Um, well
2: i mean honestly i'm I'm feeling kind of lucky and grateful for my situation at the moment, all things considered um feeling pretty grateful that I have just me to like kind of take care of in terms of like you know a, a staff um mm-hmm. you know minimal overhead i I've always worked from home, so no change there really um and i make loungewear so i also feel pretty lucky <laughs> that i make a category that still has some sort of relevance to the moment we're in um and like that people still seem to you know have a desire for in their lives right now so, right. so in all those ways i'm feeling very lucky and and sort of set up for the moment as as much as i can be
0: mhm have you seen a decrease in in how like sales have been happening or have you seen an increase because people are working from home and wanting comfy like amazing things to wear
2: that's kind of tied into like the the luck side of how i'm feeling uh you know i had already delivered most of my spring orders to my wholesale stockists before um all the shutdowns started happening so that side of my business was mostly taken care of by the time this all happened. And then, I mean, where I probably would have been planning some like in-person events and pop ups right now, I'm, you know, only able to do online sales, which normally isn't a lot for me. Um, but I, for the first time really in my business, I'm seeing some like consistent traffic and like traction on the site. So I mean that, has been kind of great. You know, I, I'm just really grateful that like the community I've sort of built over like the last couple of years is like kind of still here and interested and and maybe for the first time in some ways, my, my brand actually like really resonates with their life. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's been an, a, a nice sort of like surprise, I guess, from all of this. <laughs> Yeah. If I'm allowed to have any nice surprises, I'm trying to find all the silver linings I can in this situation. So. Right.
0: Right. Because like, how are you delivering? Are you just like sending stuff by, I guess by mail still?
2: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to be as like responsible with that as possible. Um, I'm basically just consolidating orders to like shipping out once or twice a week. I go to like a shipping place that's, um, has like a contactless drop-off spot. Um. And I drive out there once or twice a week, depending on the amount of orders I have. Uh, if somebody is in the neighborhood or it's like a friend that's ordered, and I can walk it over, sort of safely, I do that. Like if it's sunny out and I need to get out of the house for like yeah. twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically it. And in a lot of ways, like my operations aren't really um, super heavily affected because you know my warehouse is like my home office. Yeah. So <laughs> um, there was never anybody sort of else. You know, involved in it, and it, it's pretty manageable in size, so mm-hmm. I can do it all myself. Still,
0: wow, that's so. Yeah. I have been like looking, I've been like creeping your, the Instagram with the new line so hard. It looks so yes. good. I'm like, I think I'm like very close to uh-huh. pulling the trigger soon, and just like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so nice. Thanks so much. Yeah, I
2: mean, it, this the timing of all of this is it, it was very strange, like. uh I think what was the first sort of real, like stay at home order, like around March 15th, something like that, that weekend. And um, that was like, I think I had just released a little bit of my spring collection online at that point and had sort of planned to tease it out a little bit at a time over the next few weeks or months. And I just sort of realized that didn't make sense. And it was just like, get it up online and see what happens kind of thing. Cause like, what are you teasing? Like nobody knew at that point what was happening. Uh We were all just worried, like the economy would just like completely stop, I guess. And people (laughs) would completely stop spending, you know, Uh everything's so uncertain. So, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, I think because there's, I don't know, it's, it's a difficult thing to talk about. Like it's awkward thinking about trying to sell things at a time like this and, um, business as usual, isn't really a thing, but as a small business owner, you know, you, you don't really have the luxury to just sort of like take a time out in a lot of ways. Like you have to sort of put your big girl pants on and, and try to be sort of empathetic and conscientious to the situation. But also, you know, knowing that I make something that kind of can bring people comfort right now. Um, and that it's something that is like, kind of, I mean, it's still a, a, a want pro- more than a need, but like has, has a place in people's lives right now. I, I, you know, I'm just
1: grateful that I I make that and that I can, can offer that to people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Totally. I was listening to your episode this morning, Sammy, and you made an interesting comment where you said your career took off for the first time in a recession. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like thinking about the like similarities to that probably. How that like economy was to like right now?
2: Yeah, <laughs> I have had similar thoughts <laughs> over the past few weeks. Um, yeah, I I got my first job. Uh, I started my first job in January of 2008. So basically, like the recession was in full force. Maybe like six six months after that, mm-hmm. something like that. Eight months after that. Um, And sort of dealt with like the initial struggles of that, but also like the bouncing back, the recovery of that Mm -hmm. as well. Um, And now, I mean, I guess like people who've been around the block a few times, like, you know, my parents are like, well, we're due. It's every 10 years, you know, so I guess like we were due for (laughs) an economic sort of recession of some (laughs) kind coming up. Um, I don't think anybody expected this situation, but yeah I started my business a couple of years before, like the world has now totally changed um and that's
1: that's kind of interesting yeah. super interesting
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> Sorry, that was a very that's okay I was response, just like listening to, <laughs> to it and thinking about it in the terms of timing, you know, yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, I think
2: what I find sort of interesting and optimistic for for me and my situation is that. Um, we're going through this very difficult time. And it's like a time of intense change and transformation for a lot of people's like lives and livelihoods and the way kind of systems of business have worked. And I feel lucky again, that I'm this like small, lean, nimble little business that can like, adapt and adjust, I think, to the changes that come. So I'm just kind of trying to keep like a steady hand on what I'm doing every day and like keeping an eye eye to the future Mm -hmm. as well.
0: Right. So you were saying that you like are pretty in terms of like everything you do is from your house and it's like you don't have like a large amount of staff. So is like you kind of being able to work from your home something that you wanted to always keep in the business and something that you just really enjoyed doing, like a way of working? Or has it been more out of like, stakes for like a small business to grow into bigger bigger things and through development kind of get more more large
2: for sure oh that's yeah that's a good question um so i think it's a little bit of both to be honest like i love working from home i love working on the couch with my laptop i have a desk and like me and my my boyfriend share an office but like 90% of the time I am with my laptop on the couch um, <laughs> and I, I sort of like love the flexibility and sort of comfort and ease of that. Like I like that I, I don't have to show up somewhere for work. That's just selfishly something I've, I've always enjoyed about working for myself. I went, before I started Soft Focus and was doing freelance. Like I also liked that. Um, but as a small business I mean, yeah, it's just keeping things lean. Like, it just hasn't been financially feasible for me to like hire people on or get a separate space yet, and um, like honestly, probably won't be for another year or two. So, it, it's sort of like the the combination of needing to keep overhead lean so that I can like afford to grow the business, as opposed to sort of like weight it down in and kind of overhead like that and than the secret joy I get from operating my business this way for the time being anyways.
0: Right. Especially based on like the kind of ideologies and like reasons for starting the brand with like these very like comfortable loungewear but very classy clothes. I feel like it just is like so part of you, you as a person and also your brand.
2: Yeah. That's a pretty authentic part of how the brand started (laughs) and uh, continues to be, I, I would say. Um, yeah and I think like I've sort of learned over the years how to make working from home work for me and become like you know you realize you need some structure, you realize some things that you needed when you worked in an office. you don't need any no anymore, but you maybe need a different version of it and and that kind of came true with like the clothing side of it. I like don't want to get dressed for work, and I'm sort of glad that I don't have to like go through the exercise of like needing to look presentable for the world every day but for myself I still like have that desire to like wear something like stylish and beautiful and comfortable while I'm at home you know answering emails and you know going for a walk around the block when you're allowed to in a contactless Uh socially distant appropriate way Mm
0: -hmm. yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> On that uh note, do you have any like tips for people that are kind of forced to work at home right now and how to kind of keep yourself to a schedule and motivate yourself? I know that I am feeling super lack of motivation right now. Working
2: yeah, I mean, I'm sort of slipping into that again. I think like at first I was just so grateful for the slowing down of everything. And it was like such a relief because I mean, truthfully, the last like handful of months have been pretty busy because I was just prepping for a trade show and like in New York to do a trade show. And it's like the pace of the fashion system is so fast that you're as a small business trying to like, you know, keep it lean and like react sort of in the moment as much as possible. It means you're always sort of operating very, very quickly. Um, it was just grateful that everybody kind of was taking a pause, um, but then you start to like, today, I'm feeling very lethargic. And like, if I do any work after this call, like it will be a miracle. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, the, the tips really are like, there is no no structure. I mean, maybe some people who are still like truly working from home have like a, have this sort of imposed structure from just bringing their office job into a new space. But I mean, I think the key is like setting an alarm. That was a big, that was a big one for me. Um, having like taking pleasure in like the things you can take your time with or do a little bit more lazily, like maybe your morning routine is like, maybe you like read, read the paper on your phone in bed with a coffee instead of like, you know, on your commute to work. But I think still like in, injecting those like little moments of pleasure into your, your, the structure of your day is also like a really nice thing to do for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I would recommend getting dressed, even if it's changing from one pair of pajamas to another. I do think like that ritual of getting ready for the day, even in a sort of casual way, like brushing your teeth, washing your face, putting on a, a new fresh pair of sweats, like that's that's <laughs> a good thing to do for yourself as well.
1: Super helpful.
2: Yeah, and I also just think everybody needs to cut themselves like a whole lot of slack right now if they can. Um, I think if like you're trying to be productive for like a solid eight to ten hours a day at home, like that's an unrealistic expectation of yourself. Um, build in the breaks that you would normally have in your day at an office or out in the world um, for yourself at home.
0: Yeah, That's great.
2: All- yeah, and take a day off if you can. Like, why not? <laughs>
0: Totally. It's like reduced hours. Yeah. Like we were talking about at the beginning, like only working, you know, Tuesday to Thursday right now, if you can, that's super helpful. I'm finding it.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, th- I think a really easy habit. I mean, it's something that I do and like my, my boyfriend works for himself from home as well. It' something that often happens is our days are a lot less structured and we don't necessarily work, you know, from morning to evening at what we do, but we end up working every day. kind of as a result of that. And that that, can, that works like but it also can mean that your downtime and your work time really bleed together and that fuzziness can become a bit wearing so I think like having these like symbolic moments to like start your day and end your day are a really nice thing to do
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would agree
0: I had a, a bit of a question just because I ran into you Sammy I think like when did I run into you last on like the It was on
1: the
2: bus. It was like just before you were doing your thesis. Right. I think I was like a couple months before.
0: Yes. And you Mm -hmm. were, you mentioned something that was really funny. I I mean, it's, you were like, you know, I think that if I had been interviewed again at this time, I might not have as much of like a, a positive wide eyed outlook on things. I was,
2: (laughs) yeah, I was thinking about how I said that to you also. (laughs) 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 <laughs> yeah. Last year was really hard for me. Like you guys interviewed me a year into my business. So I still had like a little pile of savings that I was working my way through to like get my business going. And it was all kind of like exciting and new and positive. And then the second year was when like the financial constraints of my situation just became like very real. Um and it, it was just like personally very financially stressful and Um, moving a bit more slowly than the first year had felt. The momentum had felt tricky. Um, And so I think like when you caught me, it was towards the end of 2019 and I was just like waiting for 2019 to be over. So so I was very, very keen about 2020, like literally the clock struck midnight on New Year's and I was like, sweet relief. Um and and honestly, up until, you know, mid March, like things were sort of I felt like I was back on track for like the momentum of the business. And as much as it's difficult to keep doing that now, I'm trying to
1: keep that attitude going into the next few months. Yeah. Um, would you say that the financial constraints or realities that you felt in the second year was the biggest learning curve for you? Um,
2: I don't know. I don't know how to just. I don't know if I describe it as like a learning curve. It was just. I mean, it was a reality check Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and it was just something I had to like creatively and sort of scrappily figure my way through. You know, it. It just meant like I had to take a look at how I wanted to take on debt for the business and the capacity that I'm able to. As like, you know a small business owner with not a lot of assets and, um, start working on the side again, instead of focusing like a hundred percent of my time on uh, soft focus, which I think like I was a luxury that I was able to take that time the first sort of year and a half, but like just a, an essential, like sort of inevitability for the second bit of the year. And, um, for the, for the second year. And I mean, that's for me kind of the, one of the harder parts of the whole sort of COVID situation is just that I had sort of set myself up for this year to um spend more time on like the freelancing that I had been doing earlier on Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. to help allow the money that kind of came into Soft Focus like stay in Soft Focus. Mm -hmm. Um and the situation right now is sort of, you know, put a damper on some of the projects that I had on the go from a freelance capacity. But I just, you know, eventually getting through those hard times, lets you know, you can kind of get through anything. You'll figure it out. You'll figure out how to pay your rent. You'll figure out how to pay your bills. And, and I sort of carry that
0: through this situation. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Are you eligible for kind of like the things that have been popping up through the Canadian government as a small business and as like a... No, I, I don't qualify f- for anything, which
2: is... um. A bummer. It would be a huge relief, um, but because I'm a sole proprietor, um, any income that the business brings in is considered personal income, even though it's no. like essentially just going to like pay down the debts incurred to produce the collection and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I yeah, that essentially that is is keeping me from being able to qualify. And then a lot of the small business relief uh, that's going around requires like a, a payroll minimum, uh, in order to qualify. So, um, that also eliminates me from it, um, because I don't have any staff. Mm-hmm. Um, but that like, again, for me, I feel sort of like lucky again, my overhead's like pretty minimal. I can get through this. It's like, you know, the people I know who like run like brick and mortar stores, like locations that also don't have staffs, or like full-time staff or like a a payroll that would make them eligible for that kind of relief. Um, But they're stuck with these rents and, you know, irregular income coming in at a time when they're like, both like receiving all of their spring orders and needing to start paying for their fall orders. Like, it's crazy the kind of stress the shops are under right now. And, um, you know, it's like an ecosystem. Like I rely on them for my business. They rely on me for their business. And, uh, it's sad to see like these partners kind of
1: struggling so much right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you worried at all that some people might, this also might not be a question that you feel comfortable answering, but I'm going to ask, um, Mm. they, are you worried that some people might not come out of this? yeah with their businesses intact yeah i mean i'm worried and i know that that's probably
2: a fact like um i'm hopeful i'm hopeful that everybody is able to get through this it really depends on how much longer the stay at home order goes on and then really just like the long term economic ramifications of all of this but um yeah i'm really concerned that like some businesses that i love and just you you know if you spend any time on like social media and follow like any kind of local small businesses that have storefronts like, you know, s- some are being more vocal about what they're going through than others. But um occasionally you see a story and you just, you really realize like the immediate reality that they're facing in terms of like their bills and their rent, mm-hmm. their overhead, incurring, taking on more debt in order to just like get through a you know, low sales period to just like be in further debt when they come out the other side of this, like, that's like a, a, an immense amount of stress and like people who've spent, you know, years and years and years building the business that they have today. So Mm -hmm. I hope
0: everybody is able to find a way through this, but, um, I'm sad to know that some,
2: some won't. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's so important to buy local right now. I think.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, like silver linings, but I do think that's one of the more positive things that has come out of this situation. Like, I think that's part of why people are, are shopping for me right now. Um I think people it's like this opportunity to choose where your money goes as like this real like impact in terms of like, I, I think we talk about, you know, as consumers are, are, our dollar has like an, an impact where you spend your money says something about what you want in the world. But it's like this very ephemeral sort of thing. You don't really see the immediate results of that. And I think right now it's like very... That sale is like immediately putting money in the pocket of a small business that can then pay their rent, um, pay somebody's salary, you know, um, pay for an order that they received from one of their brands. Uh all that sort of stuff, and then maybe also spend money at somebody else's small business. Like, mm-hmm. um, I think we feel that sense of community and how we purchase right now, and I think that could have like a powerful, long-lasting
1: impact on people. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Yeah,
2: right. So I put my rose-tinted glasses back on, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm really hopeful that despite how like sort of serious and sad um, like really devastating the situation is in so many ways for so many people. Um, the, there's little glimmers of things that like the change that might come, um, the support that's being created that I think hopefully will will be exciting for people and, and positive.
0: Yeah. I think that's like a wonderful place to end it. because <laughs>
2: That was a beautifully yeah, said. I, I think so too. Yeah. That was great. great.
0: Um, thank you so much, Sammy, for being with us. Oh, happy to do it. You guys are so good at this. Oh,
1: oh, thank that's, you. That's, that's so kind.
0: You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you guys are interested in um, finding Sammy, um, you can find her on Instagram at.
2: You can find me at. at in underscore soft focus on Instagram and our
0: website is insoftfocus.com. perfect okay thank you guys um so much there if you want to hear f- more from Sammy obviously her interview from we recorded um, almost I guess over a year ago now will be tacked on right after this
1: is that right yes Chris? two years ago I think it was like okay years ago. 2018 this time that a we what? sat down with Sammy yeah. yeah
0: I think you're right I think it was like June or something.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So crazy.
0: Um, so yeah, so listen to her original episode
1: and I hope you guys have a great day. Bye. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Sammy, for our listeners.
2: Hey, so I'm Sammy. I, uh, grew up in Toronto. I went to, uh, well, I'm a clothing designer, so I went to Ryerson for fashion design. I was there from 2003 to 2007. And I'd always been interested in fashion as, like, a younger person. I always wanted, I was always creative, but um, I wasn't really, like, an artist. And clothing design was, like, this thing I could draw. And so it it just, that sort of just kept being, like, a habit of mine. And I sort of just applied to fashion school on a whim. My parents just were like, just do it. And I was like, (laughs) oh, okay. And then I got in, which I wasn't expecting to. And so that sort of... A happy accident but carved that path out for me a bit um and then yeah after I graduated from school I mean I've been working pretty steadily in the industry since since graduating um I moved out to BC for a while and worked for a couple companies there who did you work for uh, I worked for Aritzia that was my first job out of school um in like the store
0: or just in like the
2: in their head office yeah. as a design assistant so wow. that was my my first like real real fashion job like before that I had been working I worked um at this like lovely ribbon store on Queen Street called called Mokuba which, I, don't,
0: I just saw that store yesterday
2: yeah it's, <laughs> it's been there for like decades now and it's really services like um the like designers in the city and a lot of like home decor people and like wedding planners and stuff yeah. like that. It's really high quality dressmaking ribbon from Japan. Basically. I worked there my last year of school. And then after until I got like, until I moved out to Vancouver, it's so
1: niche. That
2: yeah. So it nice. was. But it was like such a delightful place to work. It's very colorful, but it's like all white. And then like the clear racks just filled with colorful ribbon mm-hmm. <laughs> and I met a lot of people in the industry there. Like my first internship I got because I scrolled our like client list and just like reached out to people.
0: Oh, so smart.
2: Yeah. That was, that was a good one. And then, uh, yeah. So I was at Aritzia for, I mean, I was only there for about a year. I got to let go kind of quickly. Um, which what I, happened. I normally don't <laughs> say that. I'm, I mean, I was like, very green when I got hired there and they were like not necessarily a place that was like into training. I would say I was mm-hmm. also put on like a small line that needed that, like they ended up kind of getting rid of and I just got moved around. And then I, I mean, really, we sh- this whole conversation should start with the fact that I essentially entered my career in 2008 when like the recession happened
0: um, yeah. so I mean that
2: was like the the main sort of thing like uh, companies had been going through this like really an- amazing growth where they were bringing like lots of people in and there was so much potential and then like everything kind of came crashing down and like a lot of companies through like several phases had to restructure and like let people go and stuff like I think every company I have worked at I've I've either gone through layoffs or the company has gone through layoffs while I was there. Yeah. So, yeah. How was working for Rutzia? I mean, it was a great education in a lot of ways. It was, it's probably like shaped the core of my like sense of, of work in a lot of ways. Cause it was a very like intense kind of competitive environment. Um, and I was, this, I'm like a very laid back person. And I thought you were supposed to not let people see you sweat. And I think they wanted to see you sweat. And I didn't really understand that. I also did not fully understand what a sense of urgency was at the time. <laughs> I will like, fully take ownership of that. Because I, at the time, I didn't really know what they meant by that. And now being like further along in my career, having managed people, I'm just like, Oh, that's that's what that meant, and I I just didn't fully understand it. And I think what I just needed was like the time and like sort of mentorship to be able to grow in a space like that. And it just wasn't like going to happen there. And so ultimately, I, I left after a year, and I took it. Like broke me a little inside, confidence wise. But I think that fear of not taking a job for granted. <sighs> probably has served served me pretty well going forward it's probably increased my general anxiety levels yeah. as well. But, but, but like yeah I mean I think it's I'm I'm an incredibly hard worker and I always was but now I really know what like you need to put out there because mm-hmm. of right
1: that. you need to show people that you're hustling
2: yeah and I mean like this whole jump how high thing like it's
1: I don't don't want to
2: work at a place that exists that way. Like the reality was, even if that's not how it had ended, that would never have been like a long-term job Mm, for me. It's just not the right fit. And I'm actually really grateful for the fact that I've been able to jump around to a few different jobs to see how big companies work, how really like small boutique companies work to see what I like better, where I fit better. Um, and it, 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 helps me dream a bit bigger as a small business, mm-hmm. um, having seen how a big company can operate, but also has allowed me to get my hands so much dirtier when I worked right in small
1: places. Was it super stressful though? Because you had moved across the country, you had moved to Vancouver, <laughs> you were in a new city. Vancouver's already so expensive, expensive to yeah. Yeah. So just be out of a job.
2: Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I like handled it pretty well now that I think about <laughs> it. <laughs> I, um, to be honest, the fact that I moved out there, I mean, I was there for like about a year, so it wasn't like such a short amount of time. I had never expected to stay in Vancouver longer than me working at that company. I didn't like it enough there to do that. It takes so, it takes about a year before you feel like you belong in a new city anyways. Mm -hmm. So I was just like getting to that point. Yeah. Um,
1: if not longer really.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I had met my, my boyfriend who I'm still with and I was, and I, I just like felt like I would still, I, I still had more to discover in Vancouver. So I decided I wanted to stay. We hadn't even been dating for that long. I didn't, I was young and naive and was like, if we move in together, it doesn't matter. Maybe we'll just break up. It's fine. <laughs> um, Logic. but I immediately was like, well, I got to get out of my apartment. Can I move in with you? he was like, oh, okay. And, uh, but it all worked out in the end. <laughs> and so after I left Aritzia, yeah, I gave myself like, um, I think, well, I took about eight months off. I was on EI, which was kind of nice. and I did a lot of yoga during that period of time. <laughs> and I had never taken time off to go travel. It was something I really wanted to do. Um, so I, I met, I saved up. I went to Europe for six months on my own backpack and I came back to Vancouver after that and got a new job in fashion at a smaller company that I really liked working at for a while. Oh,
0: what company was it? Uh, it
2: was a, they're not really around anymore. Like again, with the sort of continuation (laughs) of 2008, um, it was a, they were sort of this, like, they started in the early 2000s. They were kind of this, like, snowboard, post-skate sort of, like, streetwear brand. But it was very, like, West Coast Missy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was called Orb, Orb Clothing. They made, like, a lot of, like, like graphic hoodies and tees and um, just, like, casual wear. That's always sort of been the space I ended up in as, like, a designer working for other people. Um And they were just like a small office. I think when I started there, there were maybe like maybe 15 to 20 ish people in the company. And um, they had a men's line with a designer and a graphic designer and a women's line, which I worked with that had a lead designer and a graphic designer. And I got hired on as like a junior designer for Mm -hmm. the women's line. And it was so great because like literally the first day the designer was like, okay, we're really busy. Like we need you to design stuff. And I was like, Wow. Okay. (laughs) Cause at Aritzia big company as a design assistant, like you're really like an assistant to the designer as opposed to designing. Yeah. And that's fine. You got to learn all that stuff and do all that stuff. But it was just so exciting to immediately be part of the creative process there.
0: When you're an assistant, you're not really like creatively fulfilled though.
2: No, I was like counting down the days till I'd spent the like right amount of time so, yeah, at the no. job to then move on to something yeah. that would be more creatively fulfilling. Um and that was kind of what you got it or? Yeah, yeah, completely. I because the other thing I will say for with a small company, and this is not I mean you can I'm sure people have this experience at bigger companies as well, but for me if you show initiative or you're excited about something like chances are they need somebody to do that thing. And if you show that you're capable and interested, like they'll let you do it. Um, and so that's what I got to do there. Like, I mean, you know, I'd take on little things here and there within like the overall line uh, of apparel, but you know, they had a bag collection at the time that pretty much every designer had gone through. It was always a headache they needed somebody new to like take it on like some unsuspecting victim. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I was like, yeah, I'll design a bag collection. Um, and I like worked so hard on it. I stayed super late finishing under deadlines and like it never got produced because our manufacturer went out of business. And then like, but I still, I had like developed this thing and they had sort of guided me a little bit through the process of being able to put it all together. Like, both from like a design creative perspective as well as like the sort of business side of like, Mm. well, this is our budget. This is what we project we're going to sell. We need this, this many of this kind of thing and this many of this kind of thing. And this is how you sort of put the budget and plan together. And like, I don't know, it was like 24, 25 or something. Like I do that now. Like I need, like I, I love being able to learn
0: that. Would that company own those designs, even though it wasn't produced now, though?
2: Yeah. I mean, whenever you... I mean, at a smaller company, the contracts are a little shorter. At a big company, your contracts are, like, 30 pages long. Um, when you work for another company, the designs are theirs. And that's that's fine. Like, I'm I'm not there because I want to, like, no exactly. go make those. I'm sure, like, now if I wanted to make those bags, it wouldn't be a problem. I was just wondering but... how
0: it worked if it was similar as... Like if you would own, they own the designs and you won't, can't really produce similar to like song rings, what we were talking yeah. with oh, Galen about.
2: I see. Um, yeah, no, they, whenever you're designing for another brand, it's usually like explicitly
1: like stated that like essentially the creative work you do for them is their, their yeah. property. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're like non-competes in those kind of contracts as well. So you can't go work for someone else right away or design for someone else right away.
2: Um, Depends on the company. Okay. Non-competes, I'm told, are kind of bullshit unless they choose that they want to sue you or you're very important. Um, but I, I've had to sign those in the past, mm-hmm. um, but only like only at bigger companies and only. I was so junior; it wouldn't have really mattered. Like the reality is, like they can't keep you from having your livelihood. Ultimately, sorry, that's probably not the point of
0: what you're asking. <laughs> Excellent point, though. But, yeah, yeah, totally. Like But, but um, yeah, gonna... I
2: mean, th- those do exist in, in contracts. Right. A lot of the time, though, I mean, I think especially because they are hard to, like, prove in court. Right. Um, they try to—I think Trump companies try to limit it to— really their most like immediate competition
1: right yeah but and, the, yeah that and it, people high up in the company right that would take over business or
2: yeah well I mean one of the things that it does make it kind of relevant within the fashion space is that you work so far in advance on collections that mm. you know depending on like how technical a product you make or whether you're developing your fabrics yourself, you know you can be working like 18 months to a year in advance of a a season. And so if you're to leave a company, you're leaving with like information that the world hasn't seen yet. Mm. And so um, if you were to say, go from somewhere like an Aritzia to an Urban Outfitters, like that can be, you know, problematic for people. If you're taking that information with you. So that's what they're ultimately trying to protect. And I think usually the window that they have is sort of related to that timeframe a little bit. Okay. That's my generous explanation of why I
0: wasn't but again, Sorry, that was kind of maybe a heated question. That I No,
2: not really. Like, I mean, it's funny, though. When I, I went and worked at another big company and I asked if they had a non-compete and they are like, why would we have one of those? They're not, like, legal. So, you know, everybody's know. perspective is ah.
1: different on it. Wow. So and when so, did you move back to Toronto? Interesting.
2: Um, so I was at Orb for two years. Um I could, I could smell that things were not going well there. Um, because they, it, as a smaller company that sold to boutiques, like wholesaled versus sold in their own stores, I think it took a little longer for the recession to sort of hit their business. And, uh, yeah, so I, I started, um, thinking about new jobs and, um, I like was con- confused about staying in Vancouver, going back to Toronto. I knew I always wanted to end up back in Toronto. Um, so I applied to some jobs in Vancouver and in Toronto. And for some reason, I just like really, really wanted to work for Joe Fresh. I I had been working at this, this company Orb, this small company. We were trying to make like a down jacket that we could sell at like a reasonable price point. And it was so hard. We couldn't use like good quality fill. We had to sell it for like a wholesale, like $130 or something like that. And then I bought this packable damn jacket from Joe fresh for like $40. And I was like, (laughs) I need to understand how this is made. (laughs) (laughs) And so I had a friend who had been working there for a long time. So she connected me to their HR and I ended up getting hired really quickly and moving to Toronto in the summer of 2012.
1: Wow. Yeah. How uh, do they make affordable down jackets?
2: Uh, they make a lot of them. <laughs> they don't put a lot of details. Oh, maybe this is the stuff I want to <laughs> cut out. Um, <laughs> let's just say they make a lot of them. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they make a lot of them. And they don't put a, a ton of investment in, say, like, research and development for their mm. product. Um and like they you know, they, they work with like, it's all like a, a puzzle. You're sort of like, okay, I, you often work back from a price point in a way. So if you know something needs to retail for a certain amount, you kind of like figure out what quality of fabric you can use. How many of them do you have to make to like get the price you want? You negotiate kind of hard, which I learned to do mm-hmm. there. Um, and you don't like have nice branded trims on things. Basically, right. that's
1: how that's how they did it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. So, you, how long did you work at Joe Fresh? And from Joe Fresh, did you um start your freelancing right away?
2: Yeah. So I was getting real antsy at Joe Fresh. I was a. They called the position there a product developer instead of designers. They didn't really have designers in their Toronto office, and product development basically means eighty percent production, maybe if you're lucky, Mm -hmm, 20%, a little bit of creative work and the way things were starting to move there, the little carrot of creative work was like definitely disappearing. And I wasn't, there was no way I was going to ever work hard enough there to get a creative position that was going to make me happy. Um, So I tried to be a person who didn't care about their job for a little bit. And that didn't work out because I'm not that kind of person. I care <laughs> a lot, um, and so I I just was like, if there's ever a time to try going out on my own, it's now. I didn't want to just go to another company that would just be like a replica of my experience at Joe Fresh. It's like same shit, different pile. To mm-hmm. be pretty honest, I like it's like the devil you know, and I want I always kind of choose the devil I don't know, <laughs> and so. Um, I yeah, I decided I was going to start freelancing, and I also kind of thought I wanted to become a food stylist because <laughs> I love cooking, and cooking had become my creative outlet while working. Oh, at
0: Joe
2: in Fresh. A, and in fashion, yeah, especially at Joe Fresh, but also before that as well. It's just like an interest and like love of mine. I like love food, and I really love cooking. I don't make clothes very often myself. Mm-hmm. I find the process of sewing, drafting so long and labor intensive. And with food, you just like make a thing and it's like done. And then you get to enjoy it. (laughs) It's
0: immediate
1: satisfaction. It's It's just
2: like so much more immediate. Like if I was a sculptor, maybe I'd like feel similarly or something like that. Um, But yeah, so I thought I wanted to become a food stylist. So I actually got really lucky and through like, I, I totally believe a little bit of fate got connected with um a jewelry designer based out of Toronto named Jenny Bird. And um she was looking for a technical designer freelance right when I was getting ready to leave, um, Joe Fresh. And so she hired me on like maybe I mean, a few weeks probably before I left. Mm-hmm. And uh I had that kind of lined up which made the whole thing feel a lot more comfortable. Although honestly, my confidence levels were like so high when I left Joe, I was like, Oh my God, this is the best. I already have this thing lined up. This is going to be so great. And as soon as I left and started realizing how little money I was going to be making, I got a little stressed out and like (laughs) depressed, but you know, ebbs and flows. Yeah. But I also wanted to explore this like food styling thing. So I, um, started like uh, doing posts for this like uh, lifestyle site, like food, like um, like developing recipes and like little like how to guides for how to make them for this site called Brit Co. And uh, I started working as a, a baker part time at Bunners in Kensington Market. That's and so cute. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and I learned I didn't want to become a baker because it's really hard work, like really yeah. hard work. And, uh, every time I thought I was ready to like ditch fashion and jump into the food styling thing, like I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to like quit the, I may be going to leave this part-time job and I'm gonna just like allow myself some time to find some stylists to assist. I would find a contract for some kind of new fashion job and, immediately be like, well, this might be the one. <laughs> <laughs> and I so I kind of kept getting reeled back into it until ultimately I kind of am where I am now. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what made you want to start a uh, soft focus?
2: Um, the idea had been like percolating almost as soon as I started freelancing yes. just cause like the freedom to think about what you might do on your own sort of opens up a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um and I always I like immediately was like I want to make fancy pajamas. I don't know why. I'm like naturally dream. <laughs> <laughs> it's my dream too. <laughs> um but I I've naturally always been a homebody, like a lazy couch potato type of person in my downtime. Mm-hmm. Um Like, I, even in university, I, there's this photo of me that my roommate took when we were in university. I had, like, gone into my room. We were, like, out. I think my boyfriend at the time was, like, in our living room with her. They were, we were all watching TV together. I went into my room to get something. And they, like, came in, like, 20 minutes later. And I was just, like, asleep on my bed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they, t- they took a photo of it. And I'm just like, that's like me. <laughs> <It's> just a <laughs> <laughs> That's just who I am. And I also just like, I did, I've always been kind of practical about how I have approached my aesthetic and, and the design stuff I'd want to do on my own. And I liked the idea that I want to do one thing and I want to do it really well. And so sleeper was a sort of like nice little niche capsule I could do. I also love wearing collared shirts. So it sort of like fit into that. I always like feel like my best version of myself in like a crisp collared shirt. Like I'm wearing one today from my <laughs> new collection. Cause like that, that's really like part of where it also kind of came from. It was like my love of like a good shirt with my like casual lifestyle. <laughs> um, but yeah, so sorry. The idea started like immediate kind of immediately and it was mostly like a joke Thing that I would think about. And then the more I worked as a freelancer for, um, other small businesses, a lot of female run businesses for the first time, because a lot of bigger businesses are usually run by men. Um, maybe middle management or upper management is, is women, but, um, companies usually are owned by men and, uh, society. Yeah.
1: <laughs> don't, get, don't get me started.
2: Um, (laughs) but like, it was really inspiring. Jenny bird is like one of my mentors. She's like a dream, dream woman. She's got a studio down in like the kind of like fashion district
1: area. Um,
2: I'll show you her stuff after the podcast. It's lovely. I'm like, am I wearing anything today? No. Um, but yeah, watching her and her business explode after I started working with her, not because of me, because <laughs> of like just the trajectory of her business has been so amazing. I haven't worked with her in a couple years, but like when I started, she had just hired on somebody to help with like logistics and shipping who's still there. It was her and her husband and a few contractors like myself. She has like 15 people in her 20 people in her office now like her, it's, it's so amazing. So like getting to work with somebody like her and like see how she's built a business and that it's possible to do it. And like really all it takes is doing it. And I have an advantage cause I actually like have a background in it to a degree. Mm-hmm. I'd also worked with like some small startupy things where like the people had no idea what they were doing and they were still like crazy enough to start a business. <laughs> and I was like, why am I honestly like ultimately what came to fruition was like I could either get paid not a lot by other people to help them build their business or I can pay myself not a lot to build my own and um that's where I was sort of that's like essentially like the emotional arc I guess (laughs) of of starting soft focus um that that's what sort of pushed me. And then um, I, I had sort of had this like kind of dream, um, contract it was my last job before I started this full time with this, uh, kids activewear company in Calgary. It was like the greatest job. I loved the owner. I had fun working on the product. I was like a lead designer. I felt very like, did you live in Calgary? No, I worked remotely for them from Toronto and I'd just fly out there every once in a what while. Was it called? I was called triple flip and it was like for tween girls, um, who were like active, it was sort of like, um, yeah, like for gymnastics dancers. And it was like really about catering to them at this like age where they're sort of transitioning out of childhood into their sort of like teenage selves. So it was like the ethos of the brand was also as much about like helping develop like the self-esteem of like these girls as it was like just dressing, Mm -hmm. outfitting them for their activities. It had a very beautiful concept. It was a very lovely team of people. um i I got quite like friendly with the owner. like we still are in touch, and it was inspiring. Also, working with her was really inspiring to me because she we had a really similar personality. She's very like calm. um she's like a gentle person, and it was very rare that I was working with people in more senior leadership that had that. Um, I like, I always had nice managers, but like, yeah. Um, and so it was so nice to see a woman who sort of like resembled my personality being like in charge of company, like this was her company. Right. And so that was like very inspiring as well. It's like, Oh, like you don't have to just be this like prototypical alpha like person. Um, you can have like empathy and emotion and that's part of your strength. Mm -hmm. and all that so that was really nice they unfortunately had some difficult times as well contract ended and I literally the contract ended I was taking a week off on like vacation to try and write my business plan for soft focus I'd already started doing some sampling was still planning on trying to get it launched for the holidays of 2017 but um I like had spent that week not writing my business plan (laughs) (laughs) and I got the call that they were ending the contract and I was like, okay, universe noted. And, uh, I gave my, (laughs) yeah, I had managed to save up some money that I would like, ideally would have loved to have like a job, like a part-time job while I was starting this and that money could only be used for the business. But I had enough to sort of support myself for like about four months, plus get the first collection off, like up and running and off the ground. Um, and I just wa- I gave myself that time to do it, see what happened. And then it was successful enough for me to keep going and stay full time on it. Mm-hmm. So that's where I am now.
0: Wow. Yeah. And um, a journey. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yes, that is quite the journey. Sorry. <laughs> Every, <laughs> I just want to point this out. Every company you worked for went out of business. Well, no, no, not every. Not so Fresh, not Not Fresh, It's still not, there. I mean, I also like, work, like I also here, to, Yeah.
2: Anyway. Yeah. Look, it's a tough industry. It's oh, funny 100%. because like retail is going through this crazy time right now as well, and it's not the recession. It's just like the world is changing and the way people buying stuff is changing. Like, that's actually why it's exciting now. There's a lot of companies hurting that are not doing things right or not able to catch up as a small business, it can be very hard to keep afloat. And like when things are tough, like just having that like extra cushion to be able to change and maneuver as Mm -hmm. things shift, it's an exciting time to be a small new business. I might be able to become part of whatever the new version Mm -hmm. of like, you know, fashion and retail
1: is. Where do you think like retail is going in this shift and who's, how are people falling behind?
2: Well, I mean, it's a lot of it's, like, sort of stuff that is maybe kind of obvious, like, online shopping. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, us millennials want to buy experiences, not things. So we don't, like, buy cereal anymore and, like, mom and dad are angry about it. Like, that's... Like, so I think the companies that are still trying to sell a cereal are having trouble.
1: Mm-hmm. Does
2: it, has anybody read that article about how millennials don't eat cereal? Okay. So it's maybe not a great analogy, but, <laughs> um, yeah, like I think people who are trying to sell consumers now, the same thing that they've always done in the same way that they always have are hurting because people don't want the same thing that they used to want. They don't want as much of it. And they want to find better ways of acquiring it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's like department stores are hurting because people don't really shop at department stores anymore. Um, fast fashion is maybe starting to like hit some roadblocks for the first time in a while, which is very nice, I think, <laughs> only because the habits of consumers that fast fashion has formed in us is really unhealthy for ourselves and the planet. Um, And uh, I think people want to like, feel like even with like a big in theory, like faceless company, I think people still want to feel like there is like a heart and soul to what they're buying now, Mm -hmm. at least for certain kinds of things. And um, companies that aren't like able to either authentically have that story or tell that story, um in an engaging way i think are are just struggling in the market
0: right mm-hmm. yeah
1: people um, care a lot where stuff comes from
0: yeah your yeah. stuff is only available online or are you do you sell to boutiques Who then
2: yeah so i i'm taking an omni channel approach to mm-hmm. my distribution uh initially when i started i was like yeah everlane just sell online Um, direct to consumer, cut the middleman out. Sounds great. Um, it's very hard to get people to buy things off of your website as a very small self-funded brand. Yeah. Um, so I always knew I would have to get the product out into people's like lives in real life anyways. Initially, I didn't think that was going to be as much through working with boutiques. It was going to be more like events and pop-ups and stuff, but I really also see the value in working with stores. Um, as both a way to like get the product out there, but also to like, um, create relationships, right. create relationships and also like help, like allow other people to tell the story of the clothes. Like, mm-hmm. um, that's like really exciting for me. So I'm being really strategic with the kinds of stores that I'm approaching, mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, so I also sell um, – I'm in a few boutiques in Toronto right now, which is very exciting. I launched the brand, in my friend Danielle um, Supa owns Souvenir Studios on College, uh, which is the loveliest shop. And she, like, designed my logo and stuff like that and is a great friend and support – supporter of Soft Focus. So I, like, always knew that that was going to be carried at her store mm-hmm. as well. So it's it's been there since the beginning.
0: Would you ever open up your own store, or are you just – are more focused on designing? I
2: mean, down the road. Sure. Uh, right now, a physical space doesn't feel like super necessary. Um, I'd love to like the dream, the dream dream would be to have some kind of like live work space where I have, yeah, I mean, always the dream, (laughs) but like in the set, maybe like downstairs is like a showroom studio, store. And like, I get to just like live above it because I don't need that much separation from my work life. I would love my commute to be yes. one minute.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One.
2: <laughs> so yeah, that would be, that would be a dream. Yeah. I think like, I mean, it depends. I, I fluctuate between having very grandiose dreams for the brand and then trying to understand if that's really the life I would want to live. Right. Um, so what does that mean in that regard in terms of like the size and capabilities of the brand? But I mean, I think any tools to, you have to like, like share your story and your work is great. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, as like a consumer, do you, and do, I mean, you may not even buy other type of loungewear, but do do you?
2: I mean, I did as research.
0: Yeah, I was, well, that's like, <laughs> my question: is, is it hard for you to look at loungewear now without a biased opinion?
2: Oh, I already had a biased opinion. <laughs> <laughs> right. that's also why I started this. But also as a designer, like I can't go shopping the way most people go right. shopping. Like mm-hmm. the way I go shopping, it's really hard for me to not like look inside a garment, engage, like process and value and quality in different ways, I think, than mm-hmm. um, maybe somebody who just, like, doesn't know about, like, different kinds of scenes.
1: When, like, yeah, it's, yeah.
2: Um, yeah, but, uh, for, I mean, a big part of... I wasn't somebody who actually actively wore pajama sets. I was, I mean, part of this is a reaction to like my like slovenly ways at home (laughs) where I, I was working from home. I did not get the memo that one needed to create structure in their life as a like freelance work for yourself kind of person to like two years in. So I would be like in my pajamas, like meaning what I wore to bed that day, like all day, like, did I remember to brush my teeth and wash my face in the morning? I don't know. My my <laughs> poor partner, who, like, we live together and both work from home together, would just have to, like, see me in my, like,
1: like underwear <laughs> like-, in, like, old t-shirt
2: and my laptop on the couch, like, every day. Was, like... Yeah, so I...
0: I, got, I vibe that on such a personal level. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: that that's just, like, I mean, that's most of our lives. Yeah, yeah. And that's And that's cool. Like, I still wear that stuff around the head. old kokanee
0: t-shirt that is old. <laughs> I
2: have this, um... I got it as a hand-me-down when I was a little kid from my mom's friend's, like, older teenage daughters. And they would give... Like, I got, like, a Tiffany tape as well from this, like, box of stuff. Um, so I've had it since I was like seven years old and it's, a the Jackson's victory tour t-shirt. It used to be down to my knees. <laughs> it is now not. And I have like a Jackson on each boob and <laughs> I still have that. Like I wear stuff like that around the house. Right. Um, but like the other thing was like getting dressed for my day meant something different than it ever had when I was like, had a job in an office or just like a job out mm. in the world. Um, so I wanted to practice being a person who wore these kinds of clothes at home before I actually started making it myself. One to sort of like see, I wanted to see how it felt to wear these things. So I bought a few different brands of, of like nice loungewear and like pajamas and stuff, um, partially to get inspired partially for the experience of it. Um, and in wearing those things and realizing what I wanted, that's sort of where I had like a really, really specific idea of what I wanted by the time I was like pen to paper designing stuff.
0: Uh-huh. And what was that?
2: Um, I wanted pockets on things, <laughs> pockets in the pants, it's like yes. such a simple thing. Um, I had a pair of pajama pants that were like a basic cotton, like really, really classic pajama style. Um, but instead of having, like, an elasticized waist, it just had a drawstring. So you did to do it every time you wanted to, like, take them on and off, which I found annoying. <laughs> yeah. Um, I found that the shirts were often... Um, they never have cuffs on the sleeves. Like a traditional pajama shirt has like a kind of wider sleeve, wider cuff with like the piping detail or something. And so like, I'd be trying to like wash the dishes and you can't really roll those up. They always just fall down, especially if they're made out of like a slinky material. Um, so that real cuffs needed to be on the table. Um, I also wanted to be able to wear it out of the house and not feel like I was wearing a costume because (laughs) pajama dressing is like very trendy right now. And like people are making non pajamas that look like pajamas. So you can wear a full outfit and that's like really fun and fashion and great. Um, but I wanted to keep it like a little bit more like, I just want you to see the woman. Like that's very important to me. And, uh, that's really what I wanted when I designed the core and the core collection is like very like simple and minimal, but it's just sort of a starting point for where it can kind of all, all go. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, speaking of that, you worked with two visual artists.
2: Yeah. I've worked with two artists so far. So I also kind of to like a little bit to pad out the collection because it's so small. I have a lounge pant, a lounge shirt, and a robe. I offered it in three colors for the holidays, like they're all kind of subtly color blocked. I, was in, I had like a, a Canadian tuxedo sort of concept going into it, um, which is continuing forward into, into fall this year. Mm-hmm. But um, I wanted to bring an artfulness into the collection. Bef- and since I'm not in a place yet where I can maybe develop my own prints for fabric um, and I'm not really an artist myself, I really want, And actually starting a business, one of the most exciting things I've gotten to do is collaborate with people. Right. Um, I just really wanted to bring that into the story of the brand. So uh, Lauren Tamaki is an illustrator based out of New York who is an old friend of mine. We went to Ryerson for fashion together and she's just so talented. I love that shirt like artist shirt that she uh, made. I'm now officially calling it the lady tea.
1: it's beautiful thanks
2: yeah and so I I just kind of like gave her an idea of like what I was thinking about um i have like been I've been inspired by like a couple brands that were just doing these like very they weren't working with artists I think they were developing themselves but they just had like a there, there were a lot of art references in the graphics and it just like you know it has like a bit of a Oh my God. Am I going to name the wrong artist on an art podcast? Um, is it Matisse? Yeah. Like the Matisse, the Matisse, like, uh, uh, collage, like cut out, sort of like figures. Right. Mm-hmm, maybe. Yeah. And like Ellsworth Kelly sketches of flowers. And I'm like, Eve's climb blue is like my spirit color. <laughs> um, and that was sort of like what I kind of gave to Lauren and then like the ethos of the brand. And she just like came up with a few really like, she has not very like effortless style to her, um, her work. And she just came up with these like lovely sketches and, uh, yeah, put those out on t-shirts and they've been really like well received and they're really great. And my sister keeps saying she sees people wearing them on the street and I'm like, that's amazing. Um, yeah. And then who's this collection with? So this new collection, which I, I literally just released yesterday. So this will not be yesterday when you hear this <laughs> on the podcast, but, um, is with an illustrator. Well, she's like a really multidisciplinary artist named Melody Hansen. And we met at a market that we both did together, um, over the holidays last year. And, um, I'd been wanting to do more artist tees and she wanted to find new ways to get her art on clothing and different mediums. And so we decided to like come together and work on this. Uh, So we kind of came up together with some concepts. She sketched, we decided how they were going to work on the clothes. She wanted to do more than just a graphic tee. And I'd been collecting these vintage men's shirts just to sort of like complement the collection. I liked the idea both from like an eco perspective and like a style perspective of selling vintage along with the landwear. Right. And, um, where did you get your vintage stuff? Just all over Toronto? Or? I found a vintage wholesaler. So I went picking, which was exciting. Um, I'd always wanted to do that. I didn't know
1: it was such a thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, I go to like a wholesaler that kind of pre-edits their pick. So it's still a warehouse, but they sort of have it organized and they kind of like pick the best from like the really big warehouses. Yeah. Um, so it makes it a little easier for me.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Um, yeah. And I just like, I literally are all like blue and white striped shirts. Cause I'm very <laughs> consistent. with <laughs> what I like. Um, and then, um, we put, had melody sketches turned into embroidery designs and had them embroidered on the shirts. Um, and then cause it's something I was sort of curious to explore with the core lounge collection as well. And I had some shirts that had been moving kind of slowly. So I, we took some of the embroidery and we embroidered, um, the wink embroidery on the cuffs of one of
1: the Those lounge shirts, They're which cool. is my, yeah. name, right?
2: yeah. it's my favorite one. one. Yeah. So, and I think that's gonna, that I what's so exciting about this is now, I think that might be something I can carry forward into future collections and stuff. Um, the idea of like adornment in this way on mm-hmm. it. So that's kind of exciting. Totally. Yeah.
1: Um, what was the hardest thing for you? Like taking this leap of faith with other people and collaboration
2: in the collaboration part. Yeah. Oh my God. I don't think anything was that hard of it <laughs> <laughs> no. to be honest. I mean, I guess the hard part is that in general I do all the executing. Part. Mm-hmm. So like Managing that is a lot of work, and I mean the the sort of marketing side of it is the newest part of all of this to me. I've always had a sensibility for it, but like actual strategy and execution of it, I mean, is always like a little stressful. And I'm a one man show, so right, it's a lot. That would be the hardest part. But the collaborate, I've always found collaboration easy. Like working as a designer in companies, you're always working with other people. You're never. This is the most independently I've ever had to create anything mm-hmm. since school. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's all been great.
1: What's hard about working like with yourself then? <laughs> oh, self
0: doubt, like, <laughs> and anxiety, like, for sure. Um, Like, when the shirt, like, you were saying that shirts, were, so one shirt was, like, moving slow. Yeah. Was there self doubt in that specific item, or was it.
1: Yeah,
2: sure. I mean, I'm, I'm not making that colorway again. No. <laughs>
1: Nobody bought it
2: personally. No, it's more from a financial perspective. You're like, I got to sell stuff, Um, (laughs) but no, it's like all kind of, I mean, I try most of the time with like my business hat still on to like see it all as like a very fun, creative experiment that just happens to be a, a business. Um, and interestingly enough, and I, I knew this would be the case going into it. Cause even when you work for a big company and lots of people do lots of things for the brand, um, you still don't spend all of your time creating, like that's just not possible. So I don't actually spend a ton of time designing. I mean, I, I actually am now starting to get to a point where I would like to carve out more time to do that. Cause I'm starting to develop new styles and get, getting like a little bit more creative with like fabrications and mm-hmm. color and stuff like that. But the business is sort of the thing I'm creating right now. And that has surprised me and how much actually maybe it hasn't surprised me how much I loved that. <laughs> but it, that's like, I feel like my creative energy is just going into like this vision and executing this vision of this, this business I want to create. I mean I sometimes even feel creative in Excel because like it's new and so it's like challenging and I'm learning how to like manage cash flow and, and it feels like a this like really significant thing cuz I have to strategize like it's totally. all creative design thinking in a way so yeah
1: um did you see yourself as an entrepreneur and as like a self-starter uh from the beginning from
2: the beginning of starting the business or like in
1: my life like as a designer going to no, school was no.
2: it thought? I'm sure it was when I first started school I but like no I didn't have a lot of ego I had a very <laughs> I like um I had a lot more self doubt than ego for sure when I was in school um no, I thought that the, and I honestly, like up until starting this thought the dumbest thing you could ever do was start a clothing business. It's so expensive. It's like so hard to make it. And I want, and you have to do things that aren't just the creative stuff.
1: So you have to do the stuff that's not familiar. Yeah.
2: Right. And I thought I wouldn't like that as much as I do, I guess. So, um, yeah, but, um, no, I, I, I really, well, I think what I had actually just hoped was that I would find a company that would feel like a great fit and I'd be able to grow into a creative leadership role within that company. Like that was really my goal. I just couldn't find that company and uh, create
0: it for yourself. Yeah.
2: I really like that's, that was part of the feeling was just like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to find that at somebody else's company. I think I have to create that for myself and maybe I'll get to create that for somebody else. And I really wanted to be like a, a a female business owner in Mm -hmm. this space. Mm -hmm. Cause I just, and I, and that is the part of what makes me want to think bigger is just like, I want there to like, I want to be like a a female CEO lady boss. That's just (laughs) like, making it possible for other women to do the same because yes. the experience of working for for women in power is different mm-hmm. and it, it can sometimes it can be different in not good ways i think sometimes when they're working in a more traditional corporate environment that can bring out some of not the best qualities sometimes or some of not the most open um nurturing qualities in people but Uh, I think there is a real opportunity to change the way businesses are run. And I think part of that comes from having different kinds of people in charge. So totally. Yeah. That's great.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh.
0: Has it
2: been an hour?
1: Yeah, <laughs> it has actually. That was like yeah. I was saying, oh
0: my gosh, because that like ended on, well, didn't end, but that was like a perfect note to uh, end it on. Oh,
2: great. Um, I feel like I didn't even start to talk about how hard
1: it is to be an artist. How yeah. hard is it to be an artist? Yeah. Is <laughs> it killing you? Is it killing you? No, it's making me thrive. <laughs> um, but you realize that your like creative gears are kind of shifting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm also a lot more confident as a designer. Now I realized it was actually hard for me initially to design on my own because I was so used to having to run designs by other people, Mm -hmm. um, or at least share them with other people before they'd get like approved and stuff. And so like it did take a little while before I could go, Oh, like I just need to be okay with this and then we can make it. And so I think sometimes the gravity of that has been difficult because like, they're not just creative decisions. They become like financial decisions and stuff like that, that could make or break a business. I'm like, can be very scared of doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. There's like that unhealthy perfectionist sort of mentality that I have sometimes. Um, but I like, it's just a muscle. You just like work it and gets
0: easier. Has there been a, a certain moment, maybe like when the first thing so the first item sold out or has there been any moment where you've been like, Oh, this is Okay
2: a lot of the moments have been like that. Um, I think like the first, the, the market where I met melody was the first day I ever sold anything. And that, I don't even think I sold that much, but I was so thrilled. It was such a great day. I think mostly my friends bought stuff for me. (laughs) Um, but I was like, yeah, this is a business. And then like my pop-up went pretty well and that I, I ran after that and I sold through like like maybe 60% of the collection ish, like within the first like month and a half, like, cause that was like the core selling period. And I was like, Oh, that seems good. And then when I would tell that to other people or like how much money like that generated, they'd be like, Oh, that's really good. And I was like, Oh, I guess like, I guess this is like a thing. <laughs> just like, I just can't keep doing this. And then I mean, since then, you know, I didn't really sell much between like January and April, but I also taken that as time to like keep developing the business. But that started like, as soon as I started trying to sell again and it didn't like go as quickly as before, it wasn't that like, none of this is making me doubt doing this. It's just like this, this feeling of stress and sorry, stress and anxiety around that becomes very visceral. (laughs) Yeah. So
1: yeah. Have you learned to like deal with that in different ways? Or,
2: yeah, well, I mean, like, so one of the things that I did kind of in tandem with realizing I wanted to start this business is I started going to therapy, oh, gosh,
1: yeah. so healthy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I really don't know if I would have been able to manage my stress or even like have a better sense of self in doing this. Had I not. Mm-hmm. So that was a, that was a big tool. Wow. Yeah. And so that's helped me I think I had like secret anxiety that I just like smushed down so far that I couldn't even acknowledge that it was anxiety. Um, and so once I was actually able to recognize that it makes it so much easier to like, um, manage those feelings when they come up. So
0: that's, that's been good. I think everybody <laughs> should go to therapy. Oh my God. It's I so don't scary. know why
2: I waited so long. <laughs> I was so proud of myself for not going. And now I'm so proud of myself that I did go.
1: So yeah. like, Isn't that weird to like be proud of yourself for not like singling you out, but like in general to be proud of yourself. Like, I don't have problems. I'm fine. Everything's okay. It's the worst. But that's, <sighs> like a, that's just like a,
2: I mean, therapy has taught me that that is, <laughs> that is just like a, like self-preservation sort of coping mechanism kind of thing. So yeah. Vulnerability is good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to plug? Like you're oh, Yeah. Okay. So, um, I just launched this collection with Melody Hansen. Um, it's online and being sold through our online shop and garmentory. Um, it's a very limited collection of uh, vintage men's shirts that have been reworked a bit on fit and embroidered with Melody's art and a new artist series graphic tee with one of her designs on them. And then I'll be launching a small like summer pre-fall collection that'll be coming out in July. And then I don't know, holiday 2018 guys, it's going to be a good one. <laughs> be good. Yeah. Go to my website and follow me on Instagram. It is in underscore soft focus and in
0: Awesome. That was amazing. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thank um, you guys. Um, gal pal prods. Thank you guys so much for listening. Go follow us on Instagram at gal prods. DM us, email us at gal at gmail.com. There's only four more episodes. Oh, we have four more episodes left until we are on a short hiatus. Yep. Um, we're taking some us time. We're, t- we're um, taking some us time. Not really.
1: We're starting we're working to film. Yeah, we're working.
0: <laughs> um, but we will keep you guys updated on that. Also go to our Patreon account, donate. Also go to iTunes. Please leave a review. That would be amazing. Go follow and like us. Yes. And thank you guys for listening. You're awesome. Bye. Thanks.